Welcome to the DC Tweet Team Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Hawkins, a.k.a. HawkDiesel1906 on Twitter. And today we have uh, a good colleague of mine, a good friend and fraternity brother, uh, Curtis Bunn, who is uh, well-known for his writing as both a journalist and an author. Um, uh, Good afternoon, Curtis, and welcome to the DC Tweet Team Podcast. Man, Maurice, thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, uh, Curtis. Uh, Curtis, why don't you give our listeners a little background of your experience in sports journalism, and uh, so they can get a sense of uh, your expertise in this field. Wow. Okay. Well, I just turned fifty-nine last week, so I, I'm going to give you the short version because it, it can't be a long one. I'm, I grew up in Southeast DC. Uh, at thirteen years old, I pretty much started my journalism career, identifying then that's what I wanted to do. So I went to Norfolk State University. Where I pledged Alpha by Alpha by uh, majoring in journalism and graduated from Norfolk State in 1983 and worked in DC. I wrote, covered the Redskins games. Uh, I covered, in fact, uh, Redskins going to the Super Bowl the year that they beat the 49ers on a Mark Mosley field goal. I think that was like 1984, 85, one of those. Uh, and I wrote about Sugar Ray Leonard's comeback to boxing after he had retired from a detached resident. Moved to New York, covered the New Jersey Nets. They were in New Jersey at the time for eight for three years and eight years covered the New York Knicks, the NBA World Series. Uh, went to the Olympics in 1988 career, then moved to Atlanta in 1996 where I went to the 2000 Olympics. Covered the World Series, uh, 15 NBA Finals, five or six Super Bowls, college bowl games. Vander Holyfield, I was there when Mike Tyson bit his ear off, so a piece of his ear off. So I've done pretty much everything in this business over the course of my career. So you've basically experienced some great sports moments, not just in football, Redskins football, or Washington football team now, uh, but just sports overall. So that's a really exciting information to know. Uh, mm-hmm. Wanted to get right into it. You know, the Redskins have settled into their 53-man roster. Uh, definitely was a huge surprise that the team cut Adrian Peterson Many uh, uh, Burgundy and Gold faithful consider P- Peterson to be a lock to make this roster. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Peterson's departure from uh, Washington football team? It's quite disappointing. Uh, we haven't had much to cheer about from an offensive standpoint over the last couple of years, but AP came in. Uh, he got it done on the field. Great influence in the locker room. Uh, just a great team guy. So to let him go after giving him uh, signing him, or last year to, to come back this year was, you know, I was really anticipating him being a, a solid, steady force in the locker room, particularly with the young quarterback in the huddle. And being able to gain yards, those tough yards that the NFL don't seem to value as much anymore. Uh, third and two nowadays is a passing down. When I was growing up, ever since I was four years old, I've been a Redskins fan. And third and two, Larry Brown got the ball. John Riggins got the ball. Uh, and nowadays, it's the passing down. Uh, Adrian Peterson can get you those that third and two um, on a running play. So I don't know where we're going to go from here. Geis is gone. So we'll see where that, where that is, you know, what impact that has. But I think the NFL obviously has become a pass-dominant league. And I think that doesn't mean a man's in the run. And we need a guy like Peterson I, I would imagine it's going to be a, a running back by committee situation that's going to try to make up for the big yards that he got. And hopefully somebody can get those tough yards on, on the fourth and goal, fourth and one, third and two. 
when you can decide to run the ball instead of always looking for some kind of play action pass. Yeah, I, th- I think that was definitely a surprise. And, you know, you, you know, one of the reports that you heard that uh, the Washington football team offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, that he wanted uh, running backs that are, that are versatile outside of back for backfield where I guess they can put them as a uh, flex options in the receiver position, as well as running out of the backfield. Uh, I know that Peterson could definitely catch the ball out of the backfield, but if they want to have that kind of versatility with uh, the running backs, maybe that's what left him as the odd man out in that situation. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that all plays out. We, that sounds like a lot of passing opportunities yeah. for a, a young quarterback who, we obviously gained some confidence in it near the end of the season, but still is unproven. Right. That means you're going to put a lot of quarterback to get the ball into these guys' hands. Last year, Chris Thompson was healthy primarily prim, uh, the primary part of the season, and he wasn't as effective as he had been uh, in a couple of years prior because I think when he comes into the game, people know that he is a pass option more so than a run option. Mm-hmm. So – when you go, when you break the huddle and the team knows you're going to pass the ball and there's no threat to run, puts you at a, at a disadvantage as an offensive team. So we'll see how how this all plays out. Obviously, but I just like a guy like Peterson back there. Not only because uh, he, he plays hard, he plays strong. He's a great influence in the locker room with a young team and a young quarterback. He can get the tough yards. So I, you know, I I'd be curious to see who picks up that flag and provides that kind of leadership and running inside the tackles that every team needs, particularly this team needs because you don't want to put the ball all on the arm. It's the decision-making of a guy who pretty much is going into his rookie year, kind of complete his rookie year at quarterback. Right, right. And speaking of uh, Dwayne Haskins, I mean, he was named a starter uh, by Coach Rivera last week. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, second-year player Dwayne Haskins, you know, moving into that starting role? Makes perfect sense. What I like from what I've seen and read is that he committed himself in the offseason to get his body right. Uh, he didn't take an offseason and say, let's go to, you know, well, obviously coronavirus prevented some of that. But in any case, he was he didn't go to Cabo and hang out. He worked out. He got his body right. I think I understand that Alex Smith was a big part of trying to mold him and teach him and give him some pointers that can be beneficial to him to be an effective starter. So I'm hoping that the guys, what everybody wants them to be. I, when I talk about the Redskins, I often I mean the Washington football team. I often say we, which I never do in any sport for eight years. I knew all those guys, but I never said we because. Uh, while personally you want them to do well, but they weren't my team. Washington football team is my team. And so we all are rooting for Haskins to be what the potential shows that he could be. And so having him on the bench to start this season wouldn't have made sense to me. I don't know who's there that was better than him anyway. I'm glad to see Alex Smith made the team complete an amazing um, comeback. But Colt McCoy or whomever else is on that roster doesn't doesn't stack up, and it's and it's not exciting for the fan for a fan base that needs something to be excited about. Right. Well, I know that uh, Kyle Allen they picked him up from the Carolina Panthers last year, and then of course uh, Alex Smith 
just coming back from that, that dreadful injury um, from two years ago. But, you know, again, you know, Dwayne Haskins, first-round draft pick in the 2019 draft, uh, first-round talent, you know, has amazing arm talent. So it, it shouldn't be a surprise that he emerged as a starter. And he, I mean, I mean, regardless, he's the future of the franchise. And so goes Dwayne Haskins. So goes the Washington football team. So definitely a good call, uh, which uh, Coach Rivera in that regard. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as the defensive side of the ball? I mean, obviously uh, the team drafted Chase Young, uh, in, in the draft this year. I mean, he's an absolute uh, monster. What type of impact do you think Chase Young is going to make for this team in 2020? My first impression of him is just I saw him at Ohio State. He seemed like he wasn't that big to me. I kept reading the numbers, but I said he didn't seem that big in that uniform. But in a, in a rescue, in a Washington football team uniform, he looks like a, a physical specimen. He's fast, he's strong, he's committed. As they say, uh, you know, his engine is always running. So I'm hoping, and I think the team's expecting him to be that edge rusher that can the quarterback has to always account for. And can uh, if he doesn't get in the sack, he's opening up for other guys. That that front line, um, that front defensive line, which is strong, and is not, is it, if they're healthy, I think it can be one of the best defensive lines in the country, in the league rather. So. I expect them up front to be strong and at the linebacker core with sweat as well. But, I, you know, I've, I've always had concerns over the last year, several years about the secondary. Glad to see Josh Norman gone. He was he was abysmal. <laughs> I he was just horrific as a Redskins cornerback. I'm, I'm so used to uh, the former nickname. He was abysmal as a cornerback for the Washington football team. And anybody back there would be as well as he did. So, but we've got to also put pressure on the quarterback to relieve some of that island feeling, being le- feeling of being left on an island out there against these top speedy receivers. So that's where Young is going to be having an impact. And I think the defensive line uh, with Allen and those guys up front also uh, have an ability to pressure the quarterback, stop the run, put teams in long passing situations. And then that's when we really have to put pressure on because I, I don't know the stats. But I would imagine that the Washington football team was one of the worst at getting off the field at third and long. And I'm talking about third and 13, third and 17, third and 10. Teams get off, you can't get off the field. Teams are getting 12, 14, 16, 18 yards on those key plays to get off when you need to get off the field. So that's one area I'm sure Ron Rivera is paying close attention to. And those third and longs, we've got to, we've got to get off the field there. And that's going to require getting some from up the middle, um, and to protect the, the in the secondary. Obviously, you know, have to do a job as well. Right, and I think one of the things that we're looking at with that that uh that defensive front four, I mean, you're potentially going to have four first rounders starting on a defensive four. I mean, with you know Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne on the inside, and then Montez Sweat on one side, and then uh. Chase Young on the other side, and then you still have Ryan Kerrigan that's going to be in the mix. Uh, Matt mm-hmm. Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle, uh, they're going to get heavy rotation too. Uh, Coach Rivera was saying that he really wanted the D line to have anywhere between twenty five to thirty five snaps per game to keep them fresh throughout the game. You you know, do you think if they're able to successfully um, implement that type of rotation, what kind of impact do you think that could have for the defense overall and you know, in, in the NFC East in particular? 
The NFC East is wide open. Uh, very disappointing when I hear all these pundits try to predict the winner of, of the division and, and Washington, Washington is never mentioned. Uh, there's the difference between Washington and Philadelphia won it last year. The, the difference is a foot, two feet. There's not a wide margin there. And we know that uh, one player can be transformative. Or, like Young could be that transformative player on the de- on defense. Obviously, health matters. Uh, we missed Allen for a while last year. Uh, but when, when you when all things being equal and healthy, that defensive line can be a real force. That front can be a force. Uh, very effective against the run for the most part. It's really got to be about the pass rush, though. We've got to have a force out there. When when that quarterback drops back, he's looking, you know, that backside shoulder is not protected. And we're getting some rush up the middle, and Young is harassing him and forcing him to get rid of the ball quicker and not just sit back there and let the defenders let out defensive backs uh, get beat to death. Pass rush is critical. So what we have up front, though, looks on paper, looks fantastic. First-round draft picks don't really matter if they don't play well. So that doesn't impress me. It's, it's really going to be about how they play. We know Payne and Allen have been uh, very, very strong players. I think Sweat, this is the year for Sweat to really emerge. And I think because Young is going to garner so much attention, it will open up to one-on-one situations for other players that they could take advantage of. So I'm really curious and excited about the potential of what that, that line could be. Right. Now, looking at some of the reporting on the uh, the Redskins uh, final 53 man roster, and it looks as though that uh, three of the receivers that they are going into the season with are undrafted um, free agents. Sixty uh, percent of our receiving core, because we only kept five receivers, um, are undrafted free agents. What are your thoughts about that going into um, the team? going into the 2020 season and not having uh, receivers that have been drafted. I mean, that we just signed kind of off the waiver wire. They just need good football players. I, I, I trust Rivera to and his staff to understand who fits the team better. We've had draft picks who look good for a second and then they, they were flashes in the pan. Uh, again, I don't I don't put a lot of stock in the draft because we've seen busts coming from the number one pick in the draft throughout the draft. And we've seen guys like Brady come in in the sixth round and be what he's become, Tom Brady. Right. So uh, I'm hoping that we have a couple of big receivers, though, and, so, and some speed uh, that can uh, make some separation and, and we can throw the ball down the field. I think that's one of Haskins' strength. Um, but I'm going to trust them. Nobody other than uh, – McLaurin was really that impressive as a receiver. And so why don't we open it up to, to people who are going to go out there, who are going to uh, block down the field, who have short hands, who run good routes, and have some speed to make some separation. So I, you know, I don't care whether they're drafted or not. I just need – we need to need good quality football players. When the ball gets in your hands, you catch it. And we've had two uh, – too little of that over here. Right. So uh so I'm switching gears there was so slightly I want to kind of get into um this is me 20 first season since uh you know the nineteen thirties where this team is not gonna be named the Washington Redskins. Uh what do you think the impact this is gonna be on the fan base going into the twenty twenty season? 
as you can see, it's been hard for me in these last 10 minutes to adjust to not calling them by what we had previously called them all these years. So that part of it is going to be difficult. But if you are a team, if you're a fan of this team, you're a fan of this team, they could be called the hobos. It wouldn't matter. This was your team. I grew up with them. My father introduced me to the Redskins when I was, when I could understand what football was. And I used to get Redskins pajamas and Redskins underwear <laughs> as a kid. And I watch every game living in Atlanta now, even if I have to go to a sports bar to do it. Uh, so I'm in, I'm invested in the team. It's a part of who I am. And I think that's what the fan base is on the whole. And so whether we have a nickname or not, which, by the way, makes no sense to me that they couldn't come up with the name. In Atlanta, as an example, when the a few, several years ago, it got an NHL franchise, a hockey league franchise, and they were trying to figure out a name. They made, they made it a fun activity for the fan base where you were able to submit names and, and they whittled it down to a certain number and they came up with the Thrashers and built a beautiful logo and it was a, it's not that difficult. Why they take a whole year to come up with another name is beyond me. But that being said, it shouldn't impact the fan base whatsoever. I mean, if that means to me that you're not really down with the team, you're down with the name. So I, I don't think that's going to be a concern at all. It's really now about how we perform. This is a year with so much that's gone on off the field that, and with so little separation between the, the other three teams in the division that the Washington football team can reestablish itself and gain some respect in D.C., in Metro D.C., in, within its fan base around the country, forget about the NFL. We've lacked in so many ways over the years. Now is an opportunity for the team to really emerge, reemerge as a viable franchise in the NFL, period. Whether we're called the Redskins or the Washington football team. And, I mean, and now that we're looking at the Washington football team, you know, with this new name's gone and things of that nature. If the team does get on a run and it starts winning, do you think um, keeping against the Washington football team, do you think that's an option? You know, if you, do you think people could get, could rally around that concept? No, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't understand why that would be the case. I don't know why they would want to do that. It, it doesn't make sense from any, just a logical standpoint or a marketing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I could be wrong, but I would just imagine that because they said they were going to take a year to really give it some, figure it out, and uh, that it will happen. But I, I don't think, like, some superstitious, in a superstitious way, if the team makes the playoff and, playoff and does well as, as the football, as the Washington football team, because of that, it's going to stay that way. Just think they, I'm going to follow by, I'm going to go by with this. They said that they were going to take their time and use use the year to figure out the right name, whatever that means. So, I, I would imagine by this time next year we'll be calling them something else. Right, and I think that I think that it gives the team an opportunity to do a, a whole new rebrand. I mean, I, I I do appreciate them saying that they're going to keep the colors burgundy and gold. So that's really exciting to mm-hmm. you know as a connection to the past, but. I just think that, you know, they can do an upgrade with uniforms, you know, especially with a new team name. 
you know, and really try to get a, a newer demographic of fans to come and support your team. Is there a particular name that kind of uh, connects with you or are you just kind of flexible on the, on the subject? Uh, well, I'm, I'm partial to Spartans. There's a Norfolk State University. <laughs> right. <laughs> Beyond that, I haven't given it much thought. Obviously, Warriors come to mind because of the alliteration. Mm-hmm. Warriors. But um, I, I, I figure that whatever they come up with, um, it won't be that far out of the box. And all the fans will, whether, <clears throat> excuse me, whether there's like wholesale appreciation for it or not, the fans will get on board over time. So I, I, I don't have that much interest in what what, the, what's the, what it's called. I just, I'm more interested in team getting this stuff together in-house, A, and, and B, on the field. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that, you know, you know, the team has had this slow mission creep of mediocrity and, 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 not being successful on and off the field. I think that, you know, with if we can put a winning product on the field and can brand that winning winning product on the field with a good team name, I think fans will connect with it um, as well. Um, I also want to talk about, uh, you know, we've, we, there's been a lot of uh, off-season uh, distractions and we've had some off-season successes. I mean, obviously hiring Coach Rivera, uh, bring in Julie Donaldson as the uh, senior vice president of of uh, media content, and then uh, uh, Jason Wright, who is the new team president, first African American team president um, of an NFL team. Oh, and ironically, our fraternity brother. Uh, <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on those offseason moves? Those are tremendous. Uh, Ron Vera is an established coach. He's shown a lot of. Uh, his teams have shown a lot of discipline. They play hard. He's shown the ability to show confidence in his team by being called Riverboat, Ron, going forward on fourth downs in, in situations that other other coaches may not. I like that confidence. Uh, I, I think overall he seems to be an organized guy who will bring some uh, stability to the coaching part of his team, which was updated for three or four years or how many other years. In the position. Jay Gruden was a cancer. Uh, he was horrible in almost every facet of the game. I, I can't, I can't, in one way, say where he was uh, exceptional. And he, he, he also tore the team, tore the team's morale down. So Ron Rivera steps in um, with automatic respect, and I think that's a major upgrade. Um, Getting uh, this is the new world, so having a woman in, in a significant position is as strong as a statement. And obviously, the uh, president of the franchise is also a key thing that shows that Dan Snyder, for all his warts, and there are many, uh, he's listening. He's not doing what some others do, sort of eat like that guy in the White House who has people around him with experience but does what he wants to do and ignores it or ignores the scientists. Uh, this guy's listening to somebody who says, we've got to become more diverse. We've got to open this thing up. And so he, I can give Snyder credit for that only because pro- other than that, he's been a, a train wreck for a franchise that had a proud tradition. 
Do you think Snyder, because I mean, he, it definitely appears that he is under uh, significant duress from the media with all the reports that are coming out of Ashburn as relates to the treatment of employees, namely uh, former women employees that work for the team who are uh, claiming incidents of uh, sexual harassment and made you feel uncomfortable. Um, do you think that uh, he's in danger of losing the team um, as a result of these actions, or do you think he can um, hold on, uh, um, you know, if, if he's able, if he's able to establish that he wasn't directly involved with this uh, toxic culture. I guess it all depends on what the investigation, if it's a real legitimate investigation uncovered. Clearly we've seen it in the NBA with Donald Sterling was run out and forced to sell his team. Uh, Snyder obviously is a red, is a Washington football team fan as a child, you know, but what he's done since he's owned the team has been more like a, a, a undisciplined fan as opposed to someone who says, let me buy this team. It's a lifelong dream. Uh, and let me get people in charge to do something that's going to make this franchise, elevate this franchise. What he's done is tear it down from the days of Jack Kent Cook. Um, I don't think there's anywhere around it. There's so many instances that we can talk about. Jim Dorn goes into interview for a quarterback's coaching job and comes out as the head coach. That that's that's one case of just an extreme lack of understanding what it takes to to run a run a franchise. So what he's done is not help the franchise in any way, shape, or form. And then when I watch these videos of women talking about when he's in the office, you can't even look at him. You have to stay. You can't even go to the bathroom. You can't walk around the office because he's there. What kind of culture is that that you, you created? It makes no sense. And so, obviously, these women aren't just making it up. Something bad has been happening within that organization for quite a while, and it reflects it on the field as well. So if the investigation uncovers that he is at the ringleader of this chaos, and in the end, as the owner, everything starts at the top and trickles down. There's nowhere in the world he could not know what was going on. The one woman I saw says she was basically sent up to a room with one of the team doctors and stuff that who was at a party. She didn't go, but she reported it via incident to HR and other people there and some friends. So he, if that's true, uh, why is he still owning the franchise? So we'll see. In the end, we'll see. I'm sure the investigation will go deep. These women are coming forward. They're not anonymous, using their faces, their names, showing their faces and using their names. And so um, I think it would be very revealing. I just think that uh, I hope the investigation happens in an expeditiously so we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think this is a big investigation, not just for the Washington football team, but I think for the National Football League overall because – you know, we, we we are definitely in an era where, you know, there is a zero tolerance for that kind of behavior in um, corporate settings and organizational settings. And, you know, the league is definitely making a strong push to incorporate women fans um, into their, you know, their support system, both, you know, as watching the games as well as financially with merchandising. So, you know, they can't afford to have a, an NFL team um, with a culture that toxic that is, you know, detrimental to women employees or just employees in general. Um, what is your outlook for 2020 for this team? Do you, you know, do you think we can put a eight and eight, nine and seven 
uh, team on the field, or do you think this is kind of a, just a rebuilding year and we'll, we'll be lucky if we can finish above three and 13? It is, uh, it, it would be a major devast- devastating season if we finish three and 13. I think it's certainly a rebuilding year, but my recollection of the schedule, and I don't have it in front of me, is that it's not, we don't have an easy schedule. We have some, some games that are going to be challenging, but I do believe that there will be an upgrade. Um, in, in the performance and the consistency, a lot will depend on um, the quarterback. We need Haskins to protect the football, to uh, understand schemes, to not put the ball in the other team's hands. And if he can do that, and if we open up the offense so that it's not just a dink and dunk offense, let's exploit the young man's talents and throw the ball down the field and, and be creative with him then we can do something on the offensive side of the ball that we hadn't done in the last several years. Uh, I think defensively, though, and special teams are going to be key. Our special teams have been the worst I've ever seen in my life. Uh, at least last year got a little better, but the three or four years prior to that we were abysmal, horrible. And I'm sure Ron Rivera has paid close attention to upgrading that side of the football. That's a key element, and I don't think people – give it that much attention until there's a field goal needed at the end of the game and you you miss it. But we need that throughout the field position throughout the course of, of every game and making big plays you know, on punt and kickoff returns, which we just weren't getting. And then there's the defensive side of the ball where we have to have a pass rush and we have to have a secondary that can guard somebody for past three seconds to our secondary in the last several years has been quite a disappointment. We brought in Ha-Ha, Clinton Ha-Ha Dix. He was, he was not effective. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Josh, Josh Norman was terrible. I, Breland was here a couple of years ago. He was bad. The other side, um, 47, I forgot his name. He was doing, he, you know, everybody still flashes, but nobody showed consistency. And that's what we need in every aspect to, to elevate from where we've been. Now, Dallas Cowboys are ordinary. Philadelphia Eagles, ordinary. New York Giants, ordinary. There's no distinguishing difference between those teams. So this is a year in which we can really surprise if we take care of the football, get off the field on third downs, and play much better on set, uh, in um, special teams. And I, I suspect because Ron Rivera is the kind of coach who who team plays solid football, that those areas will improve, and we'll see that in the results. So I expect the playoffs. Now, it's the playoffs for this division, 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, nine and seven, but I have no faith that those other teams in the division are so dominant that they can separate themselves from any of the other teams. So I think we'll be in it into the last couple of weeks, and it's, it's going to be a matter of how healthy we are and how well we execute and continue to grow as the season progresses. So our first four games uh, are going to be against the Eagles uh, week one uh, at home, and then we'll travel on the road to the Arizona Cardinals in week two. Then we have another road game against the Cleveland Browns in week three. And then week four, uh, the Baltimore Ravens come to FedEx Field. So um, that seems to be a, a, a favorable schedule. I mean, at least the first three opponents are definitely winnable games. Uh, Baltimore 
which was one of the cl- the classes of the AFC last year. You know, you know, Lamar Jackson, one of the most dynamic players in the National Football League. That can be a challenging game, but you know, given our um, our front four and a lot of the speed and athleticism we have with our defensive line, you know, you can give them a puncher's chance. So uh, definitely, you know, you know, a solid first four games for the team, and definitely they can establish themselves. I think if they can go two and two and three and one in those first four games, they can build some momentum going into the rest of the season. Yeah, the, the two games that I would say that we, if I had to pick four of the two that the Red, the Washington football team could, would win, I would say Philadelphia and Cleveland. I don't think going to Arizona is a cakewalk at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, a young quarterback uh, and those weapons, they just got uh, Hopkins. I think that team is going to be uh, maybe a surprise team out there. I, I, and it and it will be played at home. Whether they have fans or not, who knows? So, but but I don't. I I wouldn't chalk that one up as a win. I, but Cleveland, I have no faith in them. Uh, I, I, even though it is laced with talent, that hasn't come together. And that quarterback Mayfield is so overrated. Uh, I I can't even put in the word. So I think Philadelphia, obviously a tough game. We seem to play them every every first the first game of every year in the last four, five, or six years. And we lost to them. I know I remember beating them maybe five years ago, but we lost to them the last time. So that's not a gimme game, but again, it's the first game. And so I think the first game opens up the opportunity to really show your improvement. And Philadelphia isn't that much better than Washington. And uh, the, the Baltimore game is just going to be a tough game all the way around. Right. I, I, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect it to watch to win that game. Right. Well, uh, Curtis, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, jump on the DC Tweet Team podcast. We definitely appreciate your in-depth knowledge in all things uh, sports, especially um, the Washington football team and all the experience over the years of all the different sporting events you have. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on our show uh, during the season and kind of get your thoughts on how the team is performing so far. Man, I'd be offended if you don't ask me back. Okay. so (laughs) <laughs> All right. You'll you'll be back and uh and you'll be on with uh you know with our uh, our host uh Andy Burroughs who's from England. So we'll have a uh, tra- uh transatlantic uh podcast with you when the next time you come on. That'd be that'd be great. Look forward to talking to Andy. All right. Uh thank you so much and uh, we appreciate your time. No doubt. Take care, Maurice. Bye bye.